UK Motor Talk. Hello and welcome. We are here and it's not just me this time or just Jim or just any of us on our own. We're all here. So hi, I'm Mike. Hi, I'm Jim. Good evening. Hello, I'm Graham. And I'm David. I'm trying to remember what to do. How's everyone doing? Are we cooler than this time last week? Yeah, it's, it's quite been quite a pleasant temperature the last couple of days. A bit humid, but uh, not too bad overall. Not so many bits are stuck in places where you don't want them to be. And on that note, we are UK Motor Talk. Hello, everyone. So, holidays. Tempting, I think, in this kind of weather. It'd be nice to have just been off and just sat in the pool. By pool, I mean paddling pool, as opposed to... I was going to say, do, do you have a pool? Like everyone in the motor industry, we make so much money that uh, that we the only thing we really worry about is if we have enough money to heat the pool through winter. Well, this is true. No, paddling pool, tucked under a gazebo, quite nice. I went into the pool on Sunday, and it was still 28 degrees in the water, which is warm enough, I think, for the UK, at five o'clock at night. I was quite impressed by that. Very nice. It got mm. to something where you were sort of looking forward to the next day being only 32, which yes. is normally a sort of cause for celebration. This time it was a cause for giving thanks and prayers to whoever you pray to. That was ridiculous. This time last week, it was still, I think, 37 degrees in our back garden. This and We were recording this at about 8 o'clock of an evening. Sorry. There goes the curtain. Yes, it was... <laughs> a peak behind, it, everyone. Welcome to the seedy uh, underbelly. <laughs> <laughs> Less said about that, the better. <laughs> you can get creams for that sort of thing now. Now, we're recording this a week after the hottest temperature ever recorded in Britain when the whole of Europe basically caught fire. It was an interesting experience, but it's not one I'm willing to uh, repeat in a hurry, I don't think. You actually, you, you did have a few fires near you, didn't you, David? Uh, well, yes, part of the railway caught fire, because as you may or may not be able to hear in the background, the main rail line to the coast runs past the back of uh, my broadcasting empire here. And uh, we could smell smoke. We'd stop for lunch Tuesday, lunchtime. And I thought, I can smell smoke. And obviously your, your senses are a little bit more heightened when uh, it's 40 degrees temperature. And you do wonder whose houses are like now, if anyone's. Unfortunately, it wasn't any, no, there was nothing untoward. But I could still smell it. So I thought, I'll have a look out the front. Went out there, hit by the wall of heat. And I could see a few concerned looking people walking down the road. And I thought, well... I'll follow them then. Looked into the, not the very far distance, and there was smoke. And I thought, well, there we go. Moth to a flame. Off we go. And uh, myself and my neighbour wandered down, found that the whole of the embankment alongside the railway was well ablaze. And uh, the local population was starting to wheel out hose pipes, which I did question the wisdom of that, given that there's a very high voltage third rail associated with the railway down here. This is not the good old days of steam railway, is it? No. No, no. Well, it looked like steam. Anyway, Fire Brigade turned up and um, they knew what they were doing and put it out. But uh, yeah, it just proves. I mean, we've had a lot of fires around here, the local area. There's a lot of army training land around this area and it tends to go up with increasing regularity as the temperature goes up. And we've the whole of this part of Surrey and I believe into London was um, blanketed in the smoke. It's, it's interesting times. The place is tinder dry. I think it was nearly as hot as that in my car, that the air conditioning has finally given up the ghost in the Mini. It makes a very weird noise when you turn it on and, and not wanting the compressor to seize and then take out the auxiliary belt, which powers the supercharger, which powers the water pump, which stops the engine from exploding, imploding, or whatever it's going to do. I thought, I thought I'd better change that. So this weekend, I decided that uh, what I would do is 
strip everything down, got everything all completed to bits, which requires taking the front end off the car. Um, but with the bumper off, all the rad off, all the cooling pack off and everything else, and the, uh, the, the aircon compressor on the deck, I realised the new one I had had a different connector on the end of it. So that's still sat outside my garage waiting for some time for me to get out there and, and, and finish it off. And in the meantime, I've decided that it's preferable to be slightly cooler and drive my wife's car. So there I am in an SUV, but very cold, which is good. Because I, I saw an advert for something on the internet called a jewel cooler. I don't know if you guys saw this. A what cooler? A jewel cooler, as in the family jewels. It, it's basically like a magnetic, you know, like a magnetic foam mount. Goes over the top of your uh, your blower, the vent in the car has a little pipe that you can just tuck up your trouser leg. Ah, yes, I've <laughs> seen this. Yes, yes. So it, to... it directs your air conditioning directly to your plums. Exactly to your plums. And and to be fair, let's let's not be sexist about this. If you are you're not equipped with plums, I suppose it could direct air to other areas or up your top if you wanted to or something. Uh, I think anything would have been preferable than sitting inside the Mini to be honest with you at 42 degrees Celsius or whatever it was going to be. I can imagine one of those sort of end of file things that you have in garden centres from JML. JML, the jewel cooler. Point it right where the sun don't shine and keep your bits lovely icy cool. Or something delightful like that. I would buy a jewel cooler. Yeah, with, exactly. Without any Wilken. hesitation, I would buy one. Yeah, I, no, think, I think it's a great idea. A jewel jewel cooler. A jewel maybe. Jewel cooler. One, so one, one for, for each trouser leg. Yes, <laughs> I was going to say you you wouldn't want to share it with a mate on a uh, on a long road trip, would you? <laughs> Frozen plums. Well, try explaining it though. If you did have a mishap and you crashed whilst on the road, and the police sort of pull over, were you impeded in any way whilst driving, sir? And you've got two plastic hoses going up each trouser leg. <laughs> that could, that could um could be an interesting one to explain to the insurance. But talking of um, aircon and the hot weather we have had, apparently I had the well. I'm, I'm sure I wasn't alone in this. Well, I can't have been, given what I'm about to say. I had the idea of thinking, it's so hot, I think I'm just going to go and sit in the car, start the engine, sit in the back and work from there. Have laptop, we'll, we'll work. Mm. Wi-Fi reaches out there, all good. But apparently, in Italy, people have been doing this, and the government have had to pass a law to stop people doing it on environmental terms. Mm. Oh, I mean, at, uh, at work in the past, we had a... Um... A, uh, in my old dictionary, we had a fleet of Vauxhall courses for our sins as courtesy vehicles, but they did have the best air conditioning in the world. No redeeming features whatsoever as a vehicle, but the aircon was fantastic. So in the middle of summer there, I, d- I did just used to sit in one of the courtesy cars on uh, on my lunch break and cool down for a bit. <laughs> Was that the sort of air conditioning that when you switch it on, the car basically stalls? Yeah, that was it. I think it was a it was a one litre producing sort of almost. It felt like single digit levels of horsepower. But yeah, it was a, a, a re- up and down hills. If uh, if you needed to get any sort of pace going up, Bill, it, it was a car you had to turn the air conditioning off uh, just to free up sort of six or seven brake horsepower. <laughs> it's a kind of sci-fi thing, isn't it? Divert all power from life support just to get That's yourself it, going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah shut down non-essential systems. That's it. I, I, there, there were times I looked like the chap out of airplane, sweat coming out of everywhere. It was absolutely miserable. And I was actually chatting to one of the guys earlier on at work about seat covers and such, because there was a car that had lots of dog hair and bits and pieces. And I don't know why more manufacturers don't do this. If they do do this, why do they not shout about it more? The Puma has seat covers you can unzip and then chuck in the washing machine. So presumably you could sit there near enough nude because there's nothing worse, is there, than sort of sweating out into everything. At least they don't have vinyl seats. Well, actually, they do have vinyl seats now because vegan leather or pleather or just fake leather or whatever you want to call it 
is back in. So now everything's made out of plastic again. But yes, you can unzip the covers, chuck them in the washing machine, and then presumably remove the tide marks, which seems like a great idea. I didn't know that. That's a brilliant idea. It was one of the features of the first smart cars when they first came to the market. You could, you could actually take the seats out to make it easier to take the covers off and then chuck the covers in the washing machine. Brilliant idea. It's a good idea, I reckon. Yeah. Good idea. I, I think you're definitely going to need that if you happen to be... Uh, and I'm sure that we're not going to talk about Brexit this evening. I think you're probably, probably all done with that from a couple of years ago. But if you happen to be sat down at Dover on your holidays waiting to drive across to Europe for the last six hours, you probably would have been quite uh, quite glad of having some aircon or otherwise uh, most upset at the tide mark that you seem to be... Uh, creating and, and presumably the puddle that you seem to be filling your car up with sweat. Like, that must have been miserable sitting there waiting for a ferry. Not something I'd have wanted to do. Um, it's obviously, I think it was always going to happen for a number of reasons, not least some of them political. I think somebody's been making a point, haven't they? But mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not nice for those stuck in it. I mean, it's it's bad enough for families. You know, you've got kids, people need to lose, but people who are trying to sort of make a living as well, people who are having to travel, lorry drivers in particular. Yeah, it's it's not good for anybody in those circumstances. And um, let's hope that, you know, whatever the whys and wherefores of the situation, they do manage to iron this out because it's not fun. Not fun at all. It does illustrate the fact that if you're going anywhere abroad, you need to plan your route. I mean, we always seem to be going south, so we always go out to New Haven. And in fact, on that hottest of all days, my grandson went with his father via New Haven because they were heading for the south of France. I fail to understand how people can want to go through the tunnel to go to the south of France because it's basically two hours, two and a half hours to get back to where you might have done if you'd gone via New Haven. Depends how much time you save on the boat, I suppose. Mm. Well, uh, New Haven, uh, we've used it a lot over the years, but I always used to use the last ferry out at night, which I think was usually about 11 o'clock, because you could fairly cheaply rent a cabin, and the journey was five hours, because they actually extend it artificially, the journey, for the benefit of the lorry drivers and so on. So you, you can get four hours kip before you set off in France, and that always seemed to me a very good idea it's a cheap enough crossing but if you're going anywhere south or center of france i mean le mans is what hour and a half two hours max yeah there why would you go through the tunnel to go to le mans when it'll take you four to five hours driving to get there that just doesn't make any sense i think i did it from new haven last time for le mans it was yeah it wasn't wasn't too bad a trip the thing about le mans is there's, there's lots of pretty incredible stuff down there you've got a mad mile of people either uh, revving up or showing off or whatever, and all kinds of bonkers cars going over. But if you guys were going to be doing a tour now, now, now the world's opened up again, and assuming that it doesn't cost you a million pounds to catch a ferry, because £100 to catch a ferry to the Isle of Wight, which is madness. Yeah, we were looking at that this week, <laughs> weren't we? It ain't worth going. I sold something to a chap who, who lives in the Isle of Wight, and I was trying to work out deliveries. It was a set of um, seats for a car. And, uh, and he said where he was, and I thought, oh, I was, well, I'll have a look at how much it is to deliver it, you know, I'd, Hunted around for a courier, but it was a heavy old lump. These things. It was what was it, forty odd kilos, wasn't it? And a reasonable size and width and shape. So trying to find a courier for that's always tricky. Uh, but I thought, well, I'll have a look. We'll sling it in the back of the van. I'll nick the van from work, sling it in the back of there, have a nice little day trip over. Yeah, it'll be a nice day out. The ferry could only be, well, you're only on it for about eleven seconds, so it can only be limited of a day. How much? It was hundred quid. To get the ferry across. And I, and I messaged the guy and said, sorry, I must be doing something wrong here. Everywhere is telling me that the ferry is £100. So unless they use different pounds in the Isle of Wight, and, you know, 10 Isle of Wight pounds is one English pound. I was like, is, is this 100 English pounds, and do you use the same currency? He was like, yep, it's a lot. 
and it's and I it, and it's it's the most expensive crossing in in the world. If you know, if you're sat on there doing per a mile. bit of printing with your bubble jet printer, you're just spending more per mile and more per milliliter than than on anything else on the planet. Really, it's insane money, and I don't think the uh, the increase in fuel costs has quite kicked into the ferry pricing yet, has it? Got open when it does kick in. Mm-hmm. We we went over last year. I wanted to take the grandson on the hovercraft because. I don't think that service will run much longer, and it's just no, it's, it's cool. an experience. And yeah. it's, it's it's an incredibly quick service, and it was not silly money. Uh, I think for three of us, it was about forty quid return. That's all right. Yeah, but there ain't nothing there when you get there. It's like stepping back into the nineteen fifties. Mm. Everything was closed. Uh, I think it was a Saturday afternoon. They all closed Saturday afternoon. We walked miles. Is that, is that why it was only 40 quid to get there? Perhaps so. You know, it's it's, it's not a, a desirable location for me, certainly. We walked Are you going to miles. enrage the whole of the Isle of Wight here? See, we've, you've gone for yeah, the, the moke owners. Now you're going for the Isle of Wight. I'm going to get angry letters from moke owners from the Isle of Wight. This is what's <laughs> going to happen now. And you will have brought this upon us, Graham. I'll survive. They don't know where I live. Has the internet reached the Isle of Wight? We will tell them. <laughs> well, if you, no, no, if it's you like, want to know what Graham's what three words are, then... Uh, Tweeted <laughs> using the hashtag I've got a moak and live on the Isle of Wight. It is really like stepping back into the 1950s. Not like the, the best one. bits that we remember favourably. You remember? Were, were, well, I perhaps do, yes. You certainly so, yeah, long, long, that, but... long before we were born. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I didn't enjoy the experience. So, okay, you're not driving to Isle of Wight, but what I want to know from each of you is you've got to choose a location to drive to across Europe. I want to know what your two possible car choices are and why and where you're going uh, i'd like to go to reams the uh, the circuit although i think uh, they've haven't they passed a law saying you're not allowed to take the picture in front of the picture you can't anymore. yes ridiculous um, and that's it but i'd uh, i'd still like to go there and just chance my arm and and take a picture there the other one a few years since i've been i'd like to uh, like to go back to the nurburgring and do a few laps there so it uh, it depends if i can stop off at the car rental place and rent something when I get there, then maybe something slightly leggier for the journey. Um, new M3 Touring, let's give that a go and see uh, see what that's like over a distance. And to be fair, if the car okay. rental shop is closed, then uh, then an M3 around the Nürburgring is always good fun. So actually, yeah, an M3, then you can sleep in the back of it, drive it to the Nürburgring, drive it to Reims, and if the, uh, the gendarmes get upset with you, then you can just run away from them. Um, not that that's endorsed at all, and we, uh, we highly advise against it. But yeah, M3 Touring, only rental, as you say, ugly, so give it back afterwards. Nürburgring and Reims, that'd do me. Contrary to my last observations, uh, Reims is uh, very well worth going to. It's a lovely town. I stayed there for a while once, many, many years ago. Delightful town. Mm. Where would you be going then, Graham, and what would you be driving? Uh, to drive, uh, these days, I, if possible, I like to have enough time to drive B roads. We've done that a couple of times recently, just toured around France, just keeping off the motorways uh, and just driving small roads and stopping wherever we, we, we felt like it. And it was just uh, great fun. To do that, I'd, I think I'd want something like a Discovery or, you know, so I, I noticed Andy working up there. Yeah, well, it's higher, it's got aircon, it's got all the things you would want on a long journey. Oh, if, if that's Andrew perking up, I'd hope to see Andrew passing out. <laughs> um, other other possible cars, or oh, any one of hundreds of different cars, probably with enough time and to do the B-roads, I'd want a classic car of some sort. But probably not a British classic car, probably a French or Italian one. 
if you're going to go to France or Italy, drive what the locals once drove. I'm all in favour of that. So. There's your 2CV. <laughs> I like your point about the, uh, the B roads there. I did a, a road trip for my ex-brother-in-law's stag do, and it was uh, fly out, rent a load of, of cars and drive around all the uh, nice driving roads in Europe and, you know, San Bernardino Pass and uh, this, that, the other. We ended up in France, Germany, Liechtenstein, uh, Switzerland, um, Nürburgring, Belgium for the Grand Prix, you know, it was two and a half thousand-ish kilometres over three or four days we drove. But there was just the odd time we were all floating along the, the motorway at some point. None of us really had a clue what country we were in at that stage. And it was like, are we hungry? Yeah, okay, let's go and get some lunch. Okay, pull off here. And, and we ended up in, in a little town called Metz. And it was just the most wonderful place. And we ended up planning on, oh, well, we'll duck in, get a bit of lunch, half an hour, three quarters of an hour tops, and we'll disappear off. We ended up staying there for about four hours because it was just yeah. a beautiful place. It was just a wonderful place to walk around and do a bit of sightseeing and exploring. And it was just, uh, actually, yeah, if, if you're going to do that trip across Europe, set the destination, but just every now and again, turn left or turn right for whatever reason. No other reason at all. Just follow a road, see where it goes stop at the next town or village and, and wander around for two hours and then follow the sat-nav again when you're done. There were constant delights in finding places to to eat, which is still very traditional, and operate sensible hours, i.e. you can eat when pretty much you want to. But if it's, as we have done a number of times over the years, driven to southern Spain, then I'm more inclined to go uh, auto routes all the way. Because, well, <laughs> now there are auto routes, there weren't any in Spain, I think, when uh, when we first started doing it. But, you know, that's that's a very, very long haul. And I used to reckon two and a half to three days with a you know a couple of overnight stops, because otherwise it was just a long, long way. Dave, what have you got? Um, I've been trying to think. I think I would also head for France. It's been good hunting ground in the past. It's somewhere I've enjoyed spending a lot of time. But I think in particular, sort of right down the sort of south part of France, around Perpignan, and uh, that sort of area, just on the border with Spain, the Catalonian area, the borderland between France and um, and Spain, but probably staying on the on the French side. There's some beautiful little sort of seaside towns. There. There's one particularly called Collior, which we discovered, yes, which is yeah, just no. picture perfect. It's got a lovely little sandy beach. It's got some lovely old buildings, and just wandering around the the towns there. But in order to get down there. I think I'd probably go for something modern classic and um, a particular favourite of mine, a, a GT that could probably handle the, the twisty little back roads as well. Something like a, I don't know, a Ferrari 456. I've always loved them. Plenty of room in the boot for mm. your luggage. Yeah, I'd go with that. Long legs. Yeah, lovely car. And I think Good it noise. would just take it take it in its, yeah, it would. It would take it in its stride and going through all the tunnels, it would sound absolutely oh. fantastic as well. So I think that would be me. Mm, I, see, I, I can't quite decide because Naturally, I think being me, Aston Martin, I was thinking might be a, a sensible, sensible something like a Rapide, which you could use obviously all the space in the back. Then I thought, no, actually, I think what I probably would like to take is an S8, possibly one of the most impressive cars I've driven for a long, long time. Eight hundred newton meters of torque and fast enough to spin the world backwards. I mean, it did really, really powerful thing, really comfortable. And if you were going anywhere, auto route, motorway, whatever, then you would soak it up really, really easily. I guess the thing is, you've got a nice big imperious cruiser. Then I thought, what would actually be better for this? And then, hear me out on this one, guys. I was thinking maybe a Transit. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever 
travelled long distance in a transit, yep. but they are incredibly comfortable to drive long distance if you're not interested in driving through the twisties or what have you. Yeah, but how, how does it work when it blows up? That's a problem. But I was thinking... It'd just ruin uh, your trip, wouldn't it? A, you know, a standard roof transit with a pop-top, a, you know, like a camper-type jobby. I mean, they do have the worst name ever in the Nugget, the terrible name <laughs> for it. But they're generally pretty good to drive. You've got decent air con. It'd be very comfortable, and you could stop pretty much anywhere on a B-road. I've always wanted to do something like Stelvio, but I do wonder whether maybe it would be a perfect companion for driving to somewhere like Spa for the historic, or maybe even across to Monte Carlo if you wanted to watch the rally. I have done the Stelvio Pass. I'm not quite sure I'd want to do it mm. in a transit. Or no, wrong car for a, that, Maybe it? not in something that had all my crockery and pots and pans and <laughs> a cassette full of my own fecal matter in the back of it as well, to be fair. I'll probably get a bit carried away. No poos in the van. How many times have I told you? Once, but it was too late at that stage. <laughs> looked like some sort of dirty protest by the time you'd finished, didn't it? Well, we didn't even have a toilet, do, to be it? fair. Just no, that, that was the problem. The That's what upset you, really, wasn't it? Yes, indeed. <laughs> I think it would probably have the same effect on me. Hmm. That's it. Yeah, it's like the bit at the end of the Italian door, they're being thrown from one side of the coach to the other. <laughs> Hold on, lads, I've got an idea. No, no more of your <laughs> no, ideas. We've just seen no what that got us. <laughs> Definitely one where you want to open the back doors and push it out of the back. <laughs> I'll take my chances. Out it goes. Speaking of Monte Carlo, then, we should probably talk about Paddy Hopkirk. We should. Rest in peace. Incredibly sad loss. And an absolute hero. Started off with Beatles, actually. I didn't realise this. Rallying Beatles. And then moved on for a number of different cars, Triumphs and Roots stuff, through to the Minis, for which he's arguably best known. And, and certainly became a, a household name in the 60s because of, of course, 33JB, car number 37. And one of my all-time favourite cars, let alone all-time favourite Minis. Anyone that's listened to us before will know that I'm a Mini geek and, and that I absolutely love the cars. And from that love of the cars became a love of the people that, that drove them. Just a, a hugely charismatic, interesting guy who was fast in pretty much anything. I had incredible car control that was a bit of an inspiration to, to me as a young kid. Got to see Paddy's car, but unfortunately never got to meet the man, which I'm gutted about. Because obviously that'll, that'll never happen now. Same with John Cooper, who was just down the road from me. But what a, what an iconic man and a great loss to the, the motorsport community, to the mini community, and generally, I think, to uh, to the world. I met Paddy Hopkirk about 10 years or so ago. A great character, a lovely bloke, very happy to, to chat. And he was a teller of tales. You know, he, he was very good, a raconteur. He would tell you all about his Monte Carlo experiences and other racing experiences and so on. He'd driven just about everything. He was just a great character. Yeah, I think it was a bit before uh, my time, really. But the impression I got was he had, I don't know, almost that Colin McRae or, you know, touring car styles of, of the mid-90s for me. It was just bringing motorsport and making it more common. Because it's like, oh, hang on, that's like a car like my nan's got or my mum's got. And how the hell can mm. it go that fast? And it, if that opened up your eyes to motorsport and the world of motorsport and got you entertained in it, it's... Uh, you certainly need a, a person that can do that as well. The uh, the cars are the stars, but the drivers are the stars as well and the personalities behind them. So for, for me, it was that kind of thing. Anyone that can bring motorsport to non-motorsport enthusiasts has got to be doing something right. 
Well, he yeah, was fated, so. wasn't he? When he when he won, I mean, he was um, seen out and about with the Prime Minister, the Beatles, everyone. He literally became a household figure. And I think mm. that's a testament. When you consider motorsport isn't like football, where it's every single person seems to like football. I must be about the only person who doesn't. Though I know I'm in fairly good company with everyone here, apart from one. So, you know, he was the man of the moment and was celebrated, lauded. He was in everything, doing everything. And whenever you think of a red mini, uh, certainly if you're into cars by any stretch of the imagination, think of a red mini from the 60s. You can't help but think Monte Carlo, Rally, Mm. Paddy Hopker, at least I do. And I know Mm. more recently BMW commemorated that. I mean, Michael knows more about this than me, but um, I believe they released a special edition for the US only, which actually had magnetic stickers that you made the car. It was a red Mini, only available in red with the white Mm. roof. And uh, you could make your new shape Mini look like Paddy Hopkirk's. Yeah, mm. and, and even recently in the UK, there's been a Paddy Hobkirk edition of the, the current F56 shape Mini, which has a single stripe down the front and signatures on the seals, uh, which, which is interesting, I think, because bizarrely, I'm too young to have remembered Paddy rallying Minis, but I got into Minis themselves and inherited a load of Mini magazines from my cousin. And through there was the, the Paddy Hopkirk accessories for minis. Yeah. And I guess that's how I first became aware of him because I learned about Paddy through the magazines and his accessories because he'd become such a household name and you could buy so many bits to bolt onto your mini with his name on it. And I find it incredible now that we have sort of legitimate BMW endorsed created editions, the Paddy Hopkirk editions this far down the line. An incredible character and, uh, and much loved and, and certainly will be much missed. You sort of reminded me of uh, back in my youth reading car magazines and I would read the adverts in the back as well. And yes, so many Paddy Hopkirk bits. And I remember the long switches that you could get to extend right, the flick switches. Yep. That was sort of really iconic. You couldn't have a Mini without having them. But then they served a practical purpose. Because if you had a seatbelt on, you couldn't reach the bloody light switch. Simple as that. Mm. Yeah, worse still the harness or something. Mm. We do find that in the track car quite a bit, don't we? Maybe we could uh, take some inspiration. Those could be our next mods. Just uh, stick some extra long switches on everything. Sounds dangerous. <laughs> Since the whole Brexit thing and everything else that's happened subsequently... Don't swear. Bleep machine at the ready. I have no idea what you have to do to a car to take it abroad. I assume you still have to carry two breathalyzer test jobbies in case you use one, and then if you've used one, you've only got one, and if you use that, then you're stuffed and fluorescent jackets and bits and pieces, but... There's all this cobblers now about not being able to have an EU flag on the number plate, isn't there? Uh, yes, uh, since we've now taken the momentous decision to go it alone, of which less said the better, <laughs> you're not really meant to have the EU flag on the end of your number plate anymore. You're meant to cover that up with a lovely Union Jack sticker and it can't say GB anymore because of complicated relations to do with uh, Northern Ireland not actually being part of Great Britain. They are outside of Great Britain and then there's the line down the middle of the sea. So basically Basically, you now need a UK sticker if you go abroad, and that can be in the form of being in place of the GB on your EU identifier on the end of the number plate, as long as it is accompanied by the accompanying Union Jack symbol instead of the circle of stars. But there are exceptions. For example, Spain, Cyprus and Malta do require you to actually have the UK sticker as well. So you can't just get away with having it on the end of your plate. You have to have the sticker. And and seeing more and more cars that have got UK stickers stuck on the back of the cars, aren't we? How does this work with uh, Graham's monogrammed 
vehicles, his, uh, his initials, Ooh, BGB, yes, as they problem, are. Can he, uh, can, he, can he not get away with this? Uh, you're going to have to change your name by deed poll. Uh, no, ah. I'm sh- well, to Mr. UK, yes. Long ago did I have dreams, perhaps, of being Mr. UK. No, <laughs> Yay and Penge. No, I, I will uh, stick with uh, a GB sticker and a UK sticker, and if I get pulled up for it, so be it. That's my name. That's what it says on my license. Well, you're covered for both there, aren't you? I mean, if you go to uh, Ireland, as in the Republic of Ireland, you don't need either. They will still let you in with whatever you've got. So, you know, that's a nice place. That's part that's of remarkably you, civil of them, isn't it? Exactly. You can go and pretend that things are still normal. Uh, quite nice, actually. Still have to get out <laughs> within six months, but hey, never mind. Um, you don't need a green card, apparently. Some grown-ups have talked to grown-ups, and they've made that because that was a a possibility that we were going to have to go back to having green cards from your insurance. Apparently you don't need that. But it is still a wise idea to take your V5C with you, if possible, so you can prove it's your car that you're driving around in, or at least you are allowed to have it over there. Makes sense. Yes, it does make sense. And like Mike was saying, I mean, it's probably sensible to assume that you're going to need to have high-vis tabards and about eight or nine different breathalyzers and a flashing orange light and flares, not the sort that you wear on your legs, but, you know, the sort that (laughs) you can launch into the sky if you get lost somewhere in the Pyrenees, that sort of thing. Basically, assume you're going to need it. I miss the days of just being able to go, you know, and on on the road trip that we were on, we'd be driving along. What country are we in? Not really sure, to be totally honest. But nobody would ever stop you from one country to the next and we knew we wouldn't get any hassle and we were all and if you know we had did have to speak to the local constabulary about anything we knew it would all be fine and and well actually we could stay there as well you know Metz the uh the town we ended up in randomly we were all wandering back to the car and uh, and all of us just randomly stopped in this estate agent's window to try and work out if we could move there because it was just so lovely and oh well we could do actually well actually that's not a bad price at all you get all that for that, yeah. Let's, and I think there were one or two of us seriously considering it. It was just such a beautiful place. But yeah, one country to the next, no, uh, no stops, no nothing, no worries. Whereas, um, yeah, not not quite the case. But of course, all of this applies to taking your own car abroad, doesn't it? You don't uh, don't have to display all these things if you're in your rent car if you've flown out there and rented a car, do you? I have heard though a couple of insurance companies mine included have said no you don't need a green card but it would be nice to just let us know that you will be abroad during a certain period of time so i i I really don't know because i haven't investigated but in the same way that you would just check with your phone company it's not a bad idea to just give somebody a call at your insurers and say i'm going to be away very wise if you are going away on your travels let us know where you're going to on your road trip we'd be interested to see some pictures that you can Tweet us, you can message, Instagram us, do whatever you want to do. We are at UK Motor Talk everywhere. And of course, if you are going to the Isle of Wight, don't forget your passport. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> uh, and on that note, I guess it's time for us to say goodbye. So from me, Mike, cheerio. From me, Jim, it's goodbye. From me, Graham, it's goodbye. Good luck and uh, safe travels. And <laughs> from me, Dave. See you next time. Take care. Bon voyage. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.